To Queen Conversations. I am your host, Daquana Farrow. This is our first installation of many conversations to come. I'm so excited about the panel that we have today. Some amazing, phenomenal women. Um, I'm not just saying it because I'm saying it. I'm saying it because it's absolutely true. Um, I don't want to waste any time. I want to make some introductions so you know who we're talking to today. Uh, firstly, um, we're talking to Leslie Jackson. Um, from Benton Harbor, Michigan. She graduated from Coloma High School. She received her bachelor's in the science and nursing cum laude from Eastern Michigan University. I'm an eagle. Um, she's currently, um, uh, she received her master's in science and nursing from University of Michigan. God bless her, all of my University of Michigan folks. Um, she's currently completing her doctorate of nursing, uh, nursing practice in strategic leadership at Spring Arbor University. As a board certified family nurse practitioner, she has worked in family medicine, staffed and managed wellness centers uh, for Detroit Health Department, serving the city's underserved and uninsured. Uh, she worked with hospice patients as a contingent provider. The bulk of her career has been at the VA and the University of Michigan, working with cardiothoracic uh, surgery, surgical oncology, and medical oncology. She is a full-time assistant professor at Spring Arbor University. Um, she believes that being a nurse practitioner is more than just a career. Um, it's her passion and the purpose that God has for her in her life to help hurting people in need. Um, when she's not teaching or in clinic, she loves spending time with her husband, Micah, and their son, um, being active in her ministry, eating good food. I'm all about that. And traveling around the world with friends and family. Let us welcome Leslie Jackson. Welcome, Leslie. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So good to have you today. I'm excited about this conversation. I'm so excited to have you on. Our next guest is Michelle, Dr. Michelle DaCosta from Dayton, Ohio. Um, she received her bachelor's in science in biopsychology with a minor in biology. She attended medical school at Wright State University. She completed her, inter her internship at Jewish Hospital of Cincinnati, completed her residency in anesthesiology at Allegheny General in Pittsburgh and her pediatric anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. She completed her combined pediatric cardiac and adult cardiac anesthesiology fellowship at Emory. She also completed her MBA um, with a healthcare administration certificate from the University of Cincinnati. Um, she is a triple board certified in anesthesiology pediatric anesthesiology, the advanced perioperative, uh, trans esophageal, oh, my pronunciation this morning, um, echocardiology. Um, she has an interest in global health and has traveled to Haiti and Bangladesh for pediatric anesthesiology missions trips. Um, she is a member of the American Society of Anesthesiologists, Cardiovascular and Anesthesiology Committee, 
a board member of the Arizona Society of Anesthesiologists and a member of the National Medical Association Anesthesiology and Physician Executive Session. She serves as vice chair for the region, for region six. She is also a member, uh, a new member of the United States Associate Sports um, Science Committee tennis, she's a tennis player as well, athlete. She is currently participating um, or practicing, rather practicing pediatric and cardiac anesthesiology in California, Arizona, and Texas. Welcome today, Michelle DaCosta. Hey, Michelle. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for the great intro. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> all of you, all these credentials, all of these degrees and certificates and memberships. So glad to have you both on the show. Um, I, I want to do something uh, light to start the show. It's uh, this or that. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and I won't I won't badger you too much. But uh, so uh, uh, Apple or Android? Oh, I'm an Android girl. <laughs> I'm deep in the Samsung system. I have the watch. I have the phone. I have the tablet. It's all integrated. Leslie? I'm both. I have an Android phone, but every computer, every laptop, everything else is all Apple. Yes, love it. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. Neither. Neither? Mm -mm. What you drinking, Michelle? Just water? Water, protein shakes, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, what's your favorite uh, favorite food? Me? Um, I love red meat. Red I meat? Steak. Ribeye steak. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Bone in or bone out? No bone. Okay, gotcha. Leslie, what's your favorite food? You're going you to laugh, but it's definitely tacos. I'm a taco <laughs> truck girl. <laughs> I love a good taco. And then what's your favorite vacation spot? Hands down, Aruba. Aruba? Well, I don't know. It's tied with Italy, but definitely Aruba is a we great place it. to go and relax. Okay, gotcha. And Michelle? I love going to Paris. Absolutely. Love, love to travel. Um, all three of us are, are, are avid travelers, so it's all good. And, and foodies, for sure. Um, so thank you, ladies, for jumping into the show. Thank you for accepting this invitation. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. Um, want to talk about, wanna talk about um, uh, what caused you to consider medicine? Um, in your career fields, what what caused you, or what was the catalyst? What 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 was it about medical field that drew you to it? Either of you can go first. I can go first. Um, so I think the influence from my parents. Um, my they're both in the medical field. My mom being a nurse and my dad being a dentist. I knew I wanted to do something medical, um, but I didn't really want to go in dentistry. Um, and my mom, she was a nurse and she was an OB nurse. So I really liked OB, was thinking maybe going to OB or surgery, um, but then just kind of fell in love with anesthesia during my rotations. So um, even though I told my dad I'd never work around the airway, it's what I do every day now. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> with Irony, right? teeth, ask them about their teeth all the time. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So you got the influence from your family, yeah. Leslie. I would have to say my family as well. Um, growing up in a family with other medical providers, but the biggest catalyst was my two younger sisters have sickle cell anemia. So growing up, spent a lot of times in hospitals, doctor's appointments, um, specialty clinics, just because of all the variety of things that they had. And then with my sisters having it, we also had cousins and aunts and uncles that had it too. So 
just seeing their struggles and seeing um, sometimes the great providers that took care of them or sometimes the health disparities that some um, patients with sickle cell anemia go through uh, with health providers as well. That was just something that I knew from an early age. Okay, I want to be a nurse. I want to help people that hurt. Wow. So so both of you had that influence from family. Um, I can only assume that in your career paths that uh, family has been your support system, if you will. Uh, let's talk about that journey toward where you are today. So, I mean, literally, I read off some amazing credentials. How long is school for you guys? I mean, Leslie, you're still in school. Michelle, you've been through a lot of school. So someone that's interested in the medical field, um, one of the one of the one of the challenges for people can be that challenge of getting over having to make those steps towards completing the educational piece of it. So can you talk about your educational journey um, and, and, and how it what, what your experience was? OK, I can go first. Um, yeah. So for me, um, it was a long journey. It was four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, four years of residency. And then I ended up doing um, three fellowships in my field, where as other specialties, one fellowship is equal to one year. So it doesn't sound as long. But when I say I did three fellowships, everyone's like, what? So, you know, you can see that's so so it was a, a good amount of time. Um, but I think people kind of get caught up on how long it takes to be a physician or to be specialized or be fellowship trained. Um, but you know, you, you go, once you get past certain steps, it gets better. So right. once you finish your med school, you know, it's great. Once you pass your initial boards intern year, then it gets better. Once you pass your boards for your field, then it gets better. And at that point you can stop and practice. Um, but I did want to, you know, work with pediatric patients. I did want to work with cardiac patients. Um, I really had an interest in mission work. So, and, you know, kind of how the finances of medicine work. So that's why I did the MBA. I decided to do the MBA while I was in training during my fellowships, which I think was um, smart because I don't know if I would have had the strength to do additional school after I finished my training. Um, so, you know, that's always an option too. You can do additional degrees outside of medicine while you're finishing your training. So it can be done. It's hard, but it can be done. But I definitely would not take another path. I'm very happy with my training and where I am right now. That's fantastic. Leslie? Um, mine is long, but not as long as um, Dr. Nichols's, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, my journey with education is funny because everything I said I was not going to do when I was in nursing school, I would never be a professor. I would never go for a doctorate degree, any of that. Those are all the things that I exactly am doing <laughs> right now. So, um, you know, uh, for going to school, I went straight for the bachelor's degree, which is um, not the uh, typical way. A lot of people go into nursing with an associate's degree. You can be a nurse with that. But if you have aspirations to do other things, Besides bedside nursing and bedside nursing is honorable in a great um, field within nursing itself. But nursing has so many different doors that you can walk into. I decided to start with the bachelor's degrees because I didn't know which route I wanted to take. And from there, you get exposed to other different things. And then you're set up to be able to go into a master's degree or a doctoral degree if that's what you choose. So I did um, nursing and went right into taking a position uh, at the University of Michigan in cardiac step down. And I liked it. But, um, you know, in nursing school, you have a I'm going to be a neonatal ICU nurse. That's what I was going to do. And I haven't seen the inside of a NICU since the first day that I did the rotation there. Life just went another way because as you're exposed to different things and 
you find out you like other flavors a little bit better than what sometimes what you thought. So cardiothoracic surgery, cardiac patients, all of those things were just really my passion. But what really led me into oncology and going back to be a nurse practitioner and all of those things were um, some of the cancer patients that came through cardiothoracic surgery because of some of the big surgeries that they had to have because of that. So um, that led me to leave the bedside nursing and to kind of go into PACU to get a better feel for those types of things with the surgery departments. And then, um, you know, one of my providers was actually the one that was like, Leslie, I think you should go back to school to be a nurse practitioner. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And he said, I really think you should. So I'm going to have you shadow, um, you know, some of our nurse practitioners. And I loved what they did. And I uh, looked into it a little bit more. And so enrolled at the University of Michigan to get my master's degree. And there was a four year difference in between. I worked as a nurse for four years before going back to do that. Um, some people roll straight through, but I really do think that experience that you get um, bedside, learning how to deal with uh, you know other teams and um, being able to converse with providers or just seeing that other thing, that that education is invaluable. You learn some things in school, but you really don't learn a lot of it until you're in the thick of things. And so that's kind of like it is for the physicians when they're doing their fellowships and their residency, you've got the book knowledge, but now you got to put all that together bedside. So for me, working for a while was definitely a benefit. Went back Absolutely. and got my master's degree, and I've done that now for many years. I've been a nurse practitioner for 14 years. So um, going on with that and then now uh, being in faculty, if you want to go up in faculty or do different things, you do have to have a doctoral degree. So I'm starting with the DMP with aspirations of taking it on to my PhD. I do recommend if you're going to do that from master's to doc, just roll right into it. Don't take it. <laughs> go straight through it. Because huh? <laughs> now being you know, 40 going to school is a little different from being 25 and going to school. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And juggling a family. Yeah. Um, yes, so, so tell me about... Um, some of the joys of doing your job. I, I both of you have indicated that like this is this is what I was born to do. This is exactly what I should be doing. Like I would not do anything different um, in terms of the path that you've taken. So tell me about um, some of the joys of doing your job, as challenging as they are. What are some of the joys or some memories that you or a particular memory or something that you can reference and say? aha, this is exactly why I went to school for as many years as I did. This is exactly why I've invested this much in myself um, to be able to do this the way that I do it. So tell me about um, the joys of your job. So for me, um, I just like the variety of patients I work with. I have the training to work with the pediatric patients and the adult cardiac patients and the peds cardiac patients. But you know, some days when you're working on labor and delivery and someone's really uncomfortable and you provide them an epidural and you relieve their pain and then, you know, they bring a life in that same day, they are just so grateful and happy. And, you know, they're scared, they're nervous, they're uncomfortable and, you know, they're always really happy to see us. So like little things like that really brighten up my day. Yeah. Same thing working with, you know, sick kids. Some kids come in just for instance, you know, appendicitis, things like that. But then you have other patients that are um, pediatric cancer patients and they have to have their, you know, recurrent um, chemo infusions and you put them to sleep for that and things like that. And then you get to know the families and mm -hmm. the kids come over and give you high fives because they remember you. So things like that, just little jewels like that. And then you have the patient who's, you know, in their 60s or 70s having their first cardiac surgery. They're really short of breath you fix their valve and they feel so much better and you know they're so grateful to you. So I like having the variety and having the different 
patient populations and being able to, you know, bring take away pain and, you know, provide some comfort and relief and reassurance for those patients. That's fantastic. Leslie. You know, um, going into oncology wasn't uh, another one of those accidental things for me. It wasn't what I had planned, but that's just how it ended up. <laughs> it happens, it ended happens. Up, yeah, you know, it ended up being one of the best experiences ever. And so in oncology, there isn't always a happy ending. Sometimes the ending is um, not uh, a cure. And so I have learned that in those times that being a practitioner or a nurse or anybody in the medical field, your job is to help that patient to the end, whether it's the ending that they desired, maybe it's not the ending that they thought they were going to have, but your job is just to make sure every step getting to that end is a good one for them. So for me, the the when you get the email from the family that you've been taking care of, the patient's been battling chemo for years and they passed away and they give you that email that says, thank you. You know, you, you made us smile when we came to the office or um, I had one family member that told me our dad absolutely hated coming to the doctor's office. He wouldn't go. But if he knew he was going to see MP Jackson or see Ms. Jackson that day, he was like, OK, put my shoes on. I'm going to see my girlfriend. <laughs> and hey, you know, if that's what had made him happy all the way at the end, that's what made the difference. But then sometimes getting um, the opportunities to participate in research, being able to find that next new thing that can help help a patient. Um, and then when my students pass their boards, I feel like a proud mama. I feel like I've done what I needed to do to get them to that next phase and to make sure that they're prepared because I'm hard on them, but I'm definitely making sure that when they get out there, they're going to be able to handle what's going to come at them because there are going to be days that actually make you think, you know, maybe I should have looked at a different profession. You know, it was just some of those hard days, but you, when you get it and you got it down in there, it, it works well for you. That's fantastic. So extremely rewarding work that you all do. Let's talk about some of the challenges. Uh, it, it's very obvious you're women and women of color, black women specifically. Um, can we talk about some of the challenges that you may have faced? Um, uh, quite frankly, I believe that, um, you know, I believe as black women, we are healing in and of ourselves. Um, and, and, and there's a lot that comes with us in terms of uh, what we bring to the table. Um, and that can be challenging uh, for some of uh, our colleagues in some of the spaces that we occupy. Uh, but just want to talk about some of the challenges, if not if not specific to your academic journey, but um, even in your current spaces that you occupy to the extent you feel comfortable sharing. So, um, yeah, there's definitely challenges, you know, being a black woman in medicine, um, not going to sugarcoat it. Um, even starting from being, you know, an undergrad student at the University of Michigan, you know, very competitive program for pre-med and you're competing against other people. Um, and it's just like, it gets hard because sometimes you don't know if professors are going to treat you differently because of being, you know, a black woman, being a woman or whatever. And then it doesn't stop once you get into professional school and residency because um, you add the extra elements of having the patients there and then the patients question like, you know, who are you? Like definitely been mis mistaken for, you know, part of the custodial, you know, service coming wow. into the OR. They're like, oh, someone's turned over the OR finally. And I'm like, no, I'm here to provide the anesthesia. Sorry. You know, <laughs> from, your life is in my hands. Right. Like <laughs> I get that from, even from the surgeons though, they like, they don't know me. They'd be like, oh, I think I'm clean, you know, there to clean the OR. So you have to deal with some of that kinds of things. Plus you have to deal with, you know, 
patients. Some patients are like, oh, you know, who, what kind of training do you have? Like, how did you get into this program? Like, why are you here? Um, so you have to always, you know, put your best foot forward. And it is challenging because even, you know, working with other people, you know, in the medical field, sometimes you get some pushback from some other, you know, healthcare providers, whether they're, you know, the charge nurse or this person or that person, you know, given pushback that you don't see your other colleagues that are not black or male get in or someone who's older because, you know, you know, as a young person, yeah, you think, oh, you know, she she doesn't know what she's doing. She hasn't been doing it enough. So they'll ask my older colleague or things like that. And, you know, going through training, you kind of chalk it up like, oh, I'm a trainee. You'll get better when you finish. But after you finish, it's still there, you know, but it's more pressure on you because you can't, you know, rely on your attendance because now you're the person who's in charge. So when you deal with that, you have to, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but also, you know, stand up for yourself. But again, it, it's hard. Like you have to work harder. You don't get the same benefit of the doubt as, you know, some of your male colleagues get, some of your older colleagues get, you know, some of your people that are non-minorities in medicine or, you know, underrepresented minorities and things like that. So it, it is challenging. Wow. Um, and one quick question, uh, because Dr. DaCosta has to fly today. One quick question before I let you go, Michelle. Um, how has uh, COVID and this pandemic impacted your work? It's been hard um, because, you know, part of my profession, we're constantly working with the airway. You know, we have the most exposure because of what we do to put the patients to sleep. Um, so it has been challenging. It was definitely scary earlier in the year when, you know, you're there every day and taking care of patients and then you're going home to your friends and family. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I was able to be in the Moderna trial very early. So and I was lucky enough to get um, the actual vaccine. So I was vaccinated from back in early October. So mm -hmm. that was really nice for me. And it provided me a lot of reassurance. You know, someone who travels for work, you know, it was it was I was nervous getting on the planes and, you know, travel in different locations and then coming back to my friends and family. So it was definitely hard. I think we definitely turned the corner with, you know, the amount of people that are getting vaccinated. Um, I do encourage anyone who has access to it to get the vaccine as soon as possible, including, mm -hmm. you know, the minority population, because I know there's a lot of hesitancy in our community, but I think it's really, really important and it makes us all safer. So that's fantastic. And you've been vaccinated, right? And uh, NP, and you've also been vaccinated? Correct. Fantastic. Um, uh, would you, a uh, quick question, I'm controversial this way. Would you have taken the vaccine had you not been in the field specifically or had to because you see patients? Yes? I would just because, you know, I do some traveling. Um, I know it's, we're not doing a lot of things aren't really open per se, but I'm, I like to travel. So I would want to protect myself as well as others with traveling, even if I wasn't in the medical field. Absolutely. Dr. Dr. DaCosta, we thank you for your time today. Don't miss your flight. Safe okay. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. MP Jackson. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about some of those uh, challenges that you've faced. Definitely, definitely everything that she said. Um, my biggest thing is you don't get, there's no days off. So if there's a test that you're studying for, if there's information that you have to know, if you're going into clinicals, anyone should be staying on top of that. But 
as an African-American in the field, often a lot of times it's just you one, or there might be two of you. There's not a lot of um, others in your field that sometimes are with you. And so you don't know who has preconceived notions, whether it's a professor, um, other colleagues, patients that you're taking care of. I never will forget one of my um, being uh, in the field for a while, I went in to see a patient. At that time, I was working inpatient um, on a team that was as a nurse practitioner in a in a kind of affluent area. And I went in, white jacket on, everything. You know, you just make sure you're always presentable and doing what I needed to do. And mm -hmm. I'm in seeing this patient, and she and her family are asking me all my credentials as you get asked those questions all the time. How did you get in the field? You know, what school did you go to? Blah, blah, blah. So when I said I attended the University of Michigan and she said, oh, okay. And um, I said, uh, we were talking about different things. So she, one of the family members felt the uh, need to ask, oh, was it one of the affirmative action um, scholarships? Oh my goodness, cut it out. And I giggled and said, oh, absolutely not. I'm a straight A student. I graduated with high honors in high school. And you know, I just had to go ahead and give it to her in a nice way. So, um, but so you just have to be able to stand your own and be comfortable in your skin. You know, that doesn't mean that you don't get angry or your feelings don't get hurt when things come up, but you have to be able to handle things in, in a way that won't burn the bridge for those that will come behind you. And that's, I think that's, the, that's the thing that I always try to keep in mind, you know, when it is just me or I'm the first in this, or even if I'm not the first and there's other I don't want to mess it up for some other young lady or some other young man who's African-American or a Hispanic or whoever who wants to come through and go to the next you know, level and you don't want to burn that bridge for them. So I try to make sure that I'm walking in a way that will open doors rather than close them. That's excellent, Leslie. Not a lot of people, especially um, people are often career minded, but not necessarily community minded, right? right. So I love the fact that you're thinking about the people that come after you. Um, what, what has, uh, I want to ask you about um, mentorship. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have or do you have mentors that uh, guide you in your career field? You know, I do have a few mentors and I have to say that uh, the new app Clubhouse has been awesome because I've been able to get into other different community settings. And then here in the Metro Detroit area, we have the um, Black Nurse Practitioner Association where you get a chance to glean from other um, mm -hmm. MPs. But here closer to the Ann Arbor area, there was not a lot of other African-American um, nurse practitioner groups or anything like that. So sometimes you were kind of rolling solo or just teaming up with other ones that you met. I do have quite a few mentors and I have a variety of mentors. I actually have um, older Caucasian women, um, older uh, African-American women. I have a few younger uh, millennial business minded people that are doing some things that I wouldn't even not know what a clubhouse was. Exactly. Until <laughs> she introduced me to, exactly. So you know we're not old, but we're uh, we're kind of stuck in between a couple of different generations, and so you know where you're fitting in. At you're old school, uh, <laughs> Depends on what your life has going on. So um, trying to just really do that. So I do have women, on, and then I have a few male mentors too that are in the medical field that help me with different things. But then I also try to make sure that I have mentees as well too. Right. That's great. And uh, how are you with your mentees? What, what, how, do you, how do you challenge them? Um, what do you impart into them? Well, um, my mentees, with, when they're with me and when I'm with them, we get to kind of take the, and you hate to say take the mask off because you don't really have a mask on, but at the same time, there is a different 
Professor Jackson than right. when Leslie's at home or when I'm with you or right. other friends and family. Right. So I try to remind them that it's not that you're not being you. You're being you, but there's a you that you need to present to the world when you're walking in with your jacket on and different things like that. Or mm -hmm. when you're in a professional setting, how you should handle yourself, how to handle when you do have those moments. If someone asks you something that's, you know, off off the you know off the charts and you kind of like well wait a minute sometimes you do have to fix your face <laughs> and don't answer the question with your face answer it you know out of love and with that so a lot of times we spend a lot of times talking about professionalism and how you handle certain different things because many times they get, they get the knowledge they're nurses already they've been working in the field becoming an mp um, that's just something that's going to be added onto that. And so the steps of what they need for from me most of the time are how to handle themselves in situations. And sometimes my mentees are 20 years older than me, 15 years older than me. But it's just the fact that they haven't walked in the field. So just giving them that those ins and outs kind of help, which I think would have been I try to give them what I didn't have when I went into the field because I didn't have a lot of nurse practitioners to look up to or to tell me about different things. You just kind of learn things trial and error. Gotcha. Um, what 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 ways uh, in what ways has a uh, pandemic um, impacted your work specifically? So the pandemic for me was it's been a year of stress. So it ended with me hanging out with my friends and then the world closed. And so from the moment the pandemic really took off, we actually kind of start looking at it and seeing what was happening. I know for me, it kind of has started being on my radar mm -hmm. as soon as they said it was in Washington because I felt living here in Michigan, we were gonna be at a higher risk of a high impact, especially in South uh, East Michigan. You have a lot of automotive industry, um, people traveling in and out. We have a large international base over here. You have major universities. So the chances of people traveling and things coming our way was gonna be higher. And then working with two major health systems, we would probably see the bulk of the worst that we got here in, um, Michigan. And unfortunately, those predictions came out to be true. And so just my uh, actual husband having um, COVID in March when it first came out, that was actually def definitely a difficult thing to deal with. A family friend losing her husband who was only two years older than us from the pandemic and a lot of people within our church community you know, being affected and passing away from it. So on a personal level, it was definitely stressful. On a professional level, to me, it was even more stressful because everything turned to COVID, but cancer doesn't stop when COVID is in town. You still have to continue with treatment. We still need CT scans. We still need surgeries and all of those things. So the frustration and just how everything kind of went to a halt was very hard professionally because you're trying to make sure you're giving the best care, but keeping your patients safe because they are at a high risk if they get any type of exposure to COVID to having a bad outcome. But at the same time, you're trying to make sure your life isn't in danger and that you're not bringing anything home. So uh, the stress of, you know, we changed uh, no more jackets in uh, work. We changed the scrubs, take those things off, you know, the shoes in the garage, which those were all things that we've always done. But I think the cutest thing I saw was one of my nursing friends posted on Facebook, attention neighbors, for the next six months, you're going to be seeing your um, healthcare provider stripping in the driveway. <laughs> and that kind of, you kind of felt like that because you didn't want to um, expose your family and your friends. So there was definitely a frustration when people were like, oh, you know, COVID isn't that bad, but they weren't seeing what we were seeing on the other side, mm. how it affected the cancer patients, the cardiology patients, the patient 
who really needed to come in for a mammogram but didn't want to come into the hospital because they were scared. And now here they are coming in nine months later, but that lump has been there since February, but they didn't get a mammogram until November. And now it's a stage three cancer. Could we have gotten that sooner? So those are the things that people didn't really take into account when they were saying, where the mask, stay in, let's try to slow things down because we didn't just need COVID to get under control. We need to get back to being able to do what we do for everybody and not just COVID patients. Wow. Wow. So where are we today in terms of how you're feeling about it? Are you still as stressed as you were um, or have you learned to really... Uh, assimilate, accommodate, <laughs> and all of those other things with COVID. Um, definitely. Where we, when we first started? Definitely assimilating and accommodating and things are better. I think for me, I just need the world to open back up so I can take a vacation, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the stress that we have um, all the time, it's good to be able to go and sit on the beach. It's good to be able to go and just spend time with your friends. It's good to be able to just go and see your mom or your and give them a hug and not be afraid that you're going to give them something that's going to kill them. So those fears are still kind of there, um, not like they were before in the beginning. Um, I did get the vaccine and I'm going to be honest and say that I was a African-American, well-versed uh, nurse practitioner who had years of experience and was very skeptical when it first came out. Okay. I, didn't, I was not in the first cohort of my um, colleagues that got it. I waited and did my own research. I waited to the um, research articles were out so that I could read them myself because I understand medical jargon and I wanted to know when they say it's a you know, 98% effective rate, what is it effective against? What does that mean? And so sometimes when we hear things on the media, we kind of run through it. And so it's good for anyone who has questions about the vaccine, that's fine. You can have, vac have questions, but don't just stand in fear because you have questions. Reach out to people that you trust. So a lot of my relatives were calling me and I just told them, you guys have to wait until I learn more. So I, any opportunities that I got a chance to sit in um, on um, different calls or presentations that were put on by medical professionals that I trusted, um, some that I didn't know. My sister-in-law is a physician in uh, Memphis. So she and I were talking. Uh, she invited me and give, gave me links to look at different things that she was participating in to learn more about it. And then after I learned more about it, after I saw how my colleagues reacted to it and some other things, then at that time, I decided to move forward with it when the variants came out because I became very nervous about the variants. And mm -hmm. then I also wanted to be able to see my sisters who have sickle cell anemia and not be worried yeah. about me giving them something and seeing my parents. So for me, it took me a while to be just okay with it because I wanted to know more things. But once I got the knowledge, looked at everything and did the research for myself, I felt comfortable with it. And then I started to encourage my other family and friends, even my patients when they asked me first, you know, Leslie, what do you think about this? And I would be honest and say, I don't know a whole lot about it. I'll tell you what the department is recommending, but if you want to do your own research, you know, that's okay. But in the meantime, continue with your wearing your mask, keeping your social distance and your hand washing and all of those things. I love that. I love that. I love that you are not just readily accepting and that you are uh, doing your research and really, because Sometimes I feel like people make other people feel bad for being um, hesitant or skeptical because of the history of our people in this country as it pertains to the medical profession. Right. The things that have been done to our people 
in the name of testing, in the name of, you know. So um, I appreciate that, Leslie. Um, uh, what do you think um, in that same vein, right? Because um, we have been, as a people, uh, generally speaking, really hesitant when it comes to medicine and seeing doctors and um, maintenance of our health um, for various reasons, uh, including financial um, up to and including um, being skeptical about uh, the intent of people providing medical care. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the biggest things uh, we're facing as a community medically um, and then uh, some ways that we can put people at ease because our people are, are, are at higher risk for dying, not just of COVID, but other things that you are very well aware of. Um, just speak to some of those those major the, those major things that we are facing as a community, uh, the ways in which you believe we might be able to combat some of those things. Uh, absolutely. Um, everything that you said is true. And I think one of the biggest ways um, to combat that would be to raise up another generation of medical people who are of from minority groups. When you're not at the table, you're not represented. You, mm. So you need to sit there to be there in those boardrooms, making those decisions. We need to be there in those um, medical laboratories, creating things. Um, there is the one of the physicians and one of the top scientists that was on the Moderna trial is an African-American woman. And I know a lot of times people say, well, they're just showing her picture to try to get her get us to do different things well if more of us were able to be in those arenas by pursuing those types of fields so mm -hmm. if there there is a need in the african-american community for people to see the dr DeCostas, the leslie jacksons the um other different types of medical people that are out there nothing against athletes and everything they're great and they do great things but they're also people every day who are going in and saving lives and who are heroes in your own community. But mm -hmm. because we don't really have the platforms to shine on or we haven't had those doors open to be able to go in and speak to um, children at churches or schools or different things like that, kids don't always think about going to school to be a doctor or different things. You know, they they want we live in a generation now where we kind of want things fast. So going to school for all that time. That's not really something that they want to do. But the more we encourage that, the more we show those opportunities, then we have representation in the medical field. And then you will have maybe people that look like you, you may trust a little bit more. That doesn't mean that that gives them a pass and whatever they say you should do. But it does mean that they may have a better connection and a better understanding of the people. And so um, that's why I really enjoyed when I was able to work in the um, clinics that were put opened by um, Simha through the Detroit Health Department. They mm -hmm. put us in churches in some of the areas where the people didn't have insurance or people didn't have health coverage. And so we saw those patients and it was just the ability to be able to touch those people. Yeah, I love what I do at the University of Michigan and the VA, that's wonderful. But being in those clinics, being in those communities with those people who needed that help, the woman who hadn't had a pap smear ever, and she was 65 with a mask. And so talking to her about those things, talking to her daughter about the risk and how we need to maybe even start talking about, because in cancer you would have, especially in African-American communities where we didn't talk about what our family history was. So that right there is an open door for many things and health disparities to happen because we don't even know what runs in our family to be able to be on top of things. So just kind of reinventing how we look at medicine 
also um, opening the door for other African-Americans to advance in the medical field will be mm -hmm. the starting point. But then we also have to look at our bodies differently too. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to look at what we're putting into them, what we're eating, where we're eating, what we're buying, those types of things. Some of these things are uh, system set up ways of where you've had generational things that just continue to happen because oh, sometimes the way, you know, systematic biases and different things have put, you know, people at risk of things. If you look at in the inner city of Detroit, they don't really have good grocery stores. They have to go to the, the corner right. store that sells things that somebody probably bought at Kroger and sells it at a higher rate. So yeah, when you're eating things that are not good, you're not getting the exercise that you need because you live in a community where you can get out and walk. There isn't a park. You know, schools aren't able to continue to have the different types of sports in um, the athletic departments or different things like that where the kids need to get exercise. All of those things are things that we need to look at as a people to mm -hmm. kind of undo those systems and then the health will come. But yeah. as long you can you can teach people all day long that they need to eat certain things that they don't need to do certain things. But until we start figuring out ways to alleviate some of the stress. So mom isn't working night shift and then doing this and then that. And so the only thing she can feed the kids is ramen noodles. Then that, that then we have a situation where you can teach all day long. But unless those systems change, then yeah. we will continue to see that cycle continue. Absolutely. It's about access. I was I'm on the board for Gym City Market here in Dayton, which is also a food apartheid. Um, and uh, one of one of the one of my colleagues there talked about food as medicine. Right. Um, if, if we put the right foods into our body, it is naturally healing. And, right. um, and so access is a major thing when it comes to healthcare in so many different aspects from from what we consume um, to how we regularly maintenance ourselves. So that's that's excellent, Leslie. Um, I I, uh, I admire the work that you do. I admire who you are as a person. Um, is this, what is your ultimate? So what is ultimate for you? Um, I know you're getting your doctorate and you said you're on your way to a PhD. What is ultimate for you? Ultimate for me, hmm, you know, I struggle with that because I love what I do um, with my veterans. I absolutely love taking care of VA um, patients and military patients because they are a vulnerable population within themselves. A lot of people don't really know the sacrifices that people in the military give um, to take care of our country and to give us the freedoms that we do. So I love that. But my heart tugs and strings at being able to give care like I did when I was at the health department within uh, minority communities, helping um, people at risk, also getting involved with victims of uh, sex trafficking. That's mm -hmm. a whole nother group of um, women's health that's out there. So I'm not sure where the road is going to take me, but I know wherever it ends, I'll be taking care of people that really need need me or need the care that we're giving. Uh, my In an ideal life, I would be able to just do that, just take care and create um, wellness centers within communities of need. If I could figure out a way to do that and still pay my bills and my student loans. Hey, so if anybody's watching and wants to help me with that, <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> Especially if it helps pay back my student loans. But, uh, <laughs> I know that is it. And then my ultimate passion is helping teach the next generation of nurse practitioner students and nurses because like I said, they, they need to see other 
people that look like them. And hopefully this will encourage another little brown girl to be able to go for it. No matter where you're from or what your background is, you can do it too. So I definitely plan to continue teaching where I'll be practicing that. That's still up in the air. It's always up in the air with you, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then one more question, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you balance? How do you balance in such a demanding work field and uh, being married and having a child, how do you balance it all? You know, um, balance is something that I try to keep. It's an ever learning process, you know, because things throw you curveballs and trying to figure it out. First and foremost, prayer. Prayer is in my relationship with God is the main thing that can, that is the center. And then as long as I keep that center, everything else falls in line like it's supposed to. Uh, but you got to spend time. You can't take care of everybody else and pour out of an empty cup. And a lot of times that's where we find ourselves when we work in these types of positions, because mm -hmm. you always want to give, you always want to be there. But I've learned, and especially in this last year with COVID um, and not being able to travel and not being able to do those different things, you have to take those moments to pour back into yourself. So if that means unplugging and um, taking a vacation, even if it's just a weekend or a couple of days to just go and check into a hotel, read a book, eat some food you want to do or yeah. something like that. That's absolutely necessary. So I try to plan throughout the year time to see my friends, time to spend time with my family and then time with just my husband. And I'm learning that I have to have a time that's just for Leslie, you yeah. know, whether it's buying more shoes that I don't need to buy or um, you know, something like that. Nothing's wrong with a little shoot therapy every now and then, or, <laughs> you know, something like that. Just finding that one thing that just gives you those balance. And so balance is something that you have to work at. It isn't something that it just happens. You have to be strategic about planning those things. And so that's what I'm learning. And that's what I've been trying to do on a regular basis. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Leslie. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you joining me. This has been amazing. I'm so glad to see your face. Uh, I know. I miss you. <laughs> we got to do it in person. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate you. We'll chat. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Family and friends. I'm so glad. Thank you for joining us for this first installment of Queen Conversations. You got to join me March 24th. I'm going to be talking to some educators, amazing women, Principal Deborah Howard, going to be talking to teacher Mrs. Van Cleet, Tasha Van Cleet. Van Cleet. I'm going to be talking to uh, one of my former educators, uh, Miss Lawana Booker. Um, so many topics, so many things to talk about. This was an amazing conversation. Want you to join me again. Join me again. It's going to be the first and the fourth Saturday of every month. I'm talking to some amazing queens. Hopefully you enjoy this conversation. Join us next time. Come on, ladies, let's join in. Join in. Let's talk about life, faith, and beauty, and so much more.